So glad that you're here with us this morning, and uh, wonderful to be able to worship our Lord. We sang two songs this morning, and can it be, it's what a wonderful thing that we can praise our Lord and Savior for what He's done for us. So thankful for our Heavenly Father that He'd send His only begotten Son to die on the cross for our sin, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So thankful as we sang in the second song that we are complete in Him. Now you think about what you just sang, I'm complete. That means I have everything that I need in Jesus Christ. That God's Word is sufficient for everything that we need to know, everything we have a question about. God's Word has the answers for everything that we need. And we can look to Him and trust in Him. I don't know about you, it's one thing to sing that. It's a very different thing to actually live that out every day. You know, as you look on the news this week, you've got a hurricane headed towards the East Coast. We know there were some awful things that even happened in our state yesterday with a shooting that took place and all these things. We say, why, what, where, how? And I think as a Christian, we need to take refuge in the fact that we are complete in Him. Amen. I love what Psalm 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place, the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Thankful for the refuge that we have in the Lord. Let's go to Him now in prayer. Ask Him to bless our service this morning. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your love for us. Thank You for sending Jesus Christ to die in our place so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, so that we could have eternal life. Thank You that we can sing and, and mean it, even though we struggle to live it out sometimes, that we are complete in Thee. Father, I pray that you'd bless our service this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together here. We know there are places around this world where people are not free to gather and worship as they desire. And Lord, we pray for those people that are worshiping you today, some in secret. Lord, I pray that you'd encourage those believers and strengthen them today. Lord, be with those today that are hurting. Some lost loved ones this week. People are going through difficult things. I think even in our own church, some are ill. Some, as in Katie, just began her treatments this week, Lord, for cancer. I pray that you'd be with her. Father, I pray for those that look around and have lots of needs. Maybe it's a financial need. Encourage them today. But as we come together, may we be reminded that you and you alone are God, that you have all things in your hand, that you love us, that as the Bible says in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Lord, that even though we face trial and temptation, though we face difficulty and struggle, we can know that you are there. You'll never leave us or forsake us. I pray that as we worship you this morning in song, and in giving, in prayer, and in the response to your word, that we would hear and listen. Lord, remove the distractions from our mind. Take away those things that would keep us from hearing your word this morning. Pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to take just a moment and open our Bibles here and have Freddie come and read to us from Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning. Boy, this book of Nehemiah is really working me over. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but... Uh, in Nehemiah chapter 6, you'll see it this morning as he reads, they're, they're finishing the wall, the wall's getting built, the city is getting the protection. And you think, great, victory has been won. 
Well, there's a victory, but the battle still continues. And uh, it's going to come against Nehemiah personally today. Freddie, come read to us from God's Word this morning. Now it came to pass when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. Then Sambalat and Geshem said un sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief, and I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I live it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Then sent Sambalad his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Geshem said it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, over which cost thou buildest the wall, and thou mayest be their king, according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. And now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto them, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work that it, that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Amen. We're going to have our boys and girls be dismissed out now if they'd like to go um, with Brother Josh and Sister Anna. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 9, or Nehemiah 9, Nehemiah chapter 6, where Freddie just was. And uh, let's begin this morning. Nehemiah chapter 6. As he just read to us, we heard some names in the beginning of this. Sanballat. He's a bad guy. We've already met him in the book of Nehemiah. Tobiah, he's not a good man either. In fact, we're going to learn a little more about Tobiah today. He was related to the people in the city of Jerusalem that were rebuilding the walls. And yet he's still an enemy. Geshem the Arabian, and it says, and the rest of our enemies. You see, under Nehemiah's leadership, the people completed the rebuilding of the walls and now all that remained was the restoration of the gates, putting the gates on, and then the city would be protected. We know if you've been with us the last few weeks, if you've studied through the book of Nehemiah, we know that these enemies had brought everything they could to try to keep the walls from being rebuilt. They didn't want the walls built because they didn't want the city protected. They didn't want the city protected because they wanted to be in control. These walls kept them from being able to do what they wanted to do. But even though they had failed in their attempts to keep the walls from being rebuilt, that didn't stop them from attacking Nehemiah personally. If they could eliminate him or even discredit him, they could mobilize their allies that were living in the city of Jerusalem and take over the city. I think this is such an important thing as we look through this chapter this morning that we need to realize that while there are many things that happen in our life and if we serve the Lord, there are spiritual victories that take place. 
We rejoice in these ladies who have completed a Bible study together. That's a blessing. We rejoice in a young man who's gone through a boot camp and worked hard and, and he's gotten these dog tags. That's a special, special thing. We rejoice in those people who have come to our church and growing in the Lord and God's working in their lives. But folks, as, as Christians, we need to be, as the Bible says, be sober and vigilant for our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. While we experience spiritual victory along the way in the Christian life, we need to understand that the enemy is still very real and he is on the attack. It is never okay for us to get to the place where we say, all right, I can sit back spiritually and take a spiritual break. If at any time they could have taken a break, you would think now the walls are completed. Everything's good. We're safe from those enemies. And yet the enemies didn't stop coming. That's why I've titled the message this morning, Attack, Victory, Attack. They, they attacked again. I almost put a question mark after that second attack. Like, why? Can't you just leave us alone? It can feel like that in the Christian life, doesn't it? Why can't the devil leave us alone? Why do I still battle with my own flesh? Why is there still problems in the world? If God is really in charge, why do we still struggle? We ask those kinds of questions. Maybe not out loud, but at least in our heart. We see the enemy's main purpose here it was to generate fear in the heart of Nehemiah and his workers. We'll look at that this morning. They understood, just like the devil understands today, just like spiritual enemies recognize this today, that fear destroys faith and it paralyzes life. When you're afraid of what might happen or you're afraid of going out or you're afraid of living for the Lord, it absolutely paralyzes your faith. You're not able to live in obedience without faith in God. Both Jesus and the New Testament, Luke chapter 13, we read about this when he was threatened. Paul in Acts 21, when he was threatened, they, they had to face fear. Both overcame it by faith. We're going to see Nehemiah this morning as he faces people trying to bring about struggle to him and attack him personally. He overcomes this with faith. And this morning we're going to see four strategies that the enemy used in their attack against Nehemiah. And I think it's important for us to study and to understand the strategies that the enemy uses against us so we can be better prepared to face our fears with faith and overcome them in the strength of the Lord. Look with me, if you will, again at verses 1 through 4. It says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and there was no breach left therein. I mean, the wall is complete. That's a great thing. Though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. He gets to that later. Verse 2, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. I always thought that name is funny. Yeah, oh no, don't listen, right? But they thought 
to do me mischief. These guys were up to no good. But the walls are built. They can't attack the city directly anymore. So now, Nehemiah, why don't you come outside the wall and we'll have a meeting to discuss things. Sounds very harmless, right? Even in the Valley of Ono. Probably didn't mean the same thing to them that it sounds like to us. But Nehemiah said in verse 3, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. One of the weapons or one of the types of attacks that the enemy uses against us as believers, as those who would follow God and walk by faith and be obedient to the Word of God, is the attack of compromise. You say, compromise? What was going on here? Well, they were inviting Nehemiah to come outside the wall and have a conversation. Let's see how we can work together, Nehemiah. Clearly, you've had some success. The walls have been built. Why don't you come out here and let's have a discussion? They're, in a sense, offering to say, we'll help you work. We'll help you do what you need to do. Nehemiah wasn't fooled, though. That's why he said at the end of verse 2, but they thought to do me mischief. Up to this point in the building program, there as the wall was being built, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem opposed everything that the Jews did. But now they offered to cooperate and to converse with them and to help them. They offered to meet Nehemiah in a village that was about halfway between Jerusalem, where Nehemiah was, and Samaria, where Sanballat was the governor. Come to a halfway place. Let's have a meeting place. We're willing to meet you halfway, was their approach. Almost as if to say to Nehemiah, now don't be an unfriendly neighbor. Of course, the enemy's strategy was this. If you can't whip them, join them, and then take over. Right? And that's often what we face even in life today. Once the enemy gets a foothold into a person's life or into a ministry, into a church, he very quickly can move then to divide and to attack and to take over from within, and that's exactly what we see taking place in Nehemiah chapter 6. While cooperation in the Lord's work is a very noble thing, we think about helping after this hurricane, that's ministries cooperating together, that's a wonderful thing. You can't cooperate with somebody that is your enemy. You can cooperate with those that agree with you, that love God like you love God. Satan is a master deceiver. He has his servants all around ready to join hands with God's people so he can weaken their hands in the work. In fact, over in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, the Bible says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. That's a scary thing, isn't it? That we fight against an enemy that can transform himself to look like the angel of light. 
He can make evil look good. And he can make good look evil. Continuing on in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 15, it says, Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I would tell you loving compromise and cooperation can be good and can be useful if there are no moral or spiritual disagreements. I mean, in a good healthy Christian marriage, you have compromise and work together all the time. You've got two people working together for a common purpose of serving God. So there's always going to be some give and some take and some compromise as you work together and cooperate together. Why? Because you understand it's not about me. It's not about her. It's about Him. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to serve Him together. But when we look at things that are evil, there's no room for compromise with them. In fact, in the Bible, in Philippians 2, the Bible speaks to this positive kind of cooperation. It says, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, do you hear that? Fellowship of the Spirit. That's two people with the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit inside both of them, saying, we can fellowship together. We can work together. It doesn't matter if you speak a different language than I do or if you're from a different country or you have a different job or your educational level is different. We can fellowship together. That's a wonderful thing about a church where we're trying to serve God together. We can be from different sides of the street, from different parts of town. We can be from different backgrounds, but we can fellowship together if we have the same Holy Spirit inside of us as believers in Jesus Christ. But Nehemiah, when he was offered this compromise, he rejected it. First of all, we'll see several reasons, but first of all, he knew they were lying and they wanted to kill him. Nehemiah didn't go out to participate in this compromise. He knew that they had plans to do mischief against him. Let's get Nehemiah outside the walls and then we can take care of him there. Listen, when God puts you in a place of protection and walking in His will and obeying Him and living according to His Word, don't step outside of God's plan for your life thinking that somehow that compromise is going to help you. Live inside the protection that God gives you in His Word. Amen. You say, well, how does that work? Well, it's very simple. As, as children obey their parents, they have their parents' protection, don't they? Because they're close by mommy and daddy. As we obey our Heavenly Father, we have God's protection. doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen in our life. But what it does mean is those things that happen that may be hard, that may be difficult, we would even classify them as bad things, are things that have been allowed by our Heavenly Father, who the Bible says He desires what is good for us. He knows our, His plans for us are good to prosper us. So if God allows something difficult in my life, I know it's because He has a plan to work it together for His glory and for my good. But when I step outside of what God's plan is and what God has said in His Word, I open myself to all kinds of pain and suffering that are really self-inflicted because I've stepped outside of the walls that God has put for me. Nehemiah rejected this compromise. He knew that they were trying to do mischief to him. 
The enemies of Nehemiah and these people did not have a change of heart all of a sudden. Nehemiah knew this. There is no room for compromise with evil. Live for God and trust in Him. But not only did Nehemiah know that there was evil planned against him, I love what he says in verse 3. He says, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Nehemiah knew that they were lying and wanting to harm him, but Nehemiah also was convinced of the greatness of the work that God had given for him to do. Are you convinced that what God has you doing is the absolute best thing He could have you doing? I don't know about you, I'm convinced of that. Doesn't mean it's not hard for me sometimes. Doesn't mean that I always enjoy doing it. Doesn't mean I always want to do it. But I'm convinced that I'm doing what God wants me to do. And I want to tell you this morning, you don't have to be a pastor to be convinced of that. If you are doing what God wants you to do, it is the most wonderful place to be in life. And God has a different plan for every single person. You say, well, how do I find that plan? Well, it's living in obedience to God's Word. It's staying inside of the walls, if you will, that God has for me and following Him in faithful obedience. And when you live there in obedience to God's Word and God's plan, you can be convinced that the work God has for you is the absolute greatest thing He could have you doing. Nehemiah was convinced of the greatness of His work that he was doing. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So that means when I get up in the morning at my house, I should be, it doesn't mean I always do this, but I should be getting up saying, God, how can I serve you with my day today? God, as I go to work today, help me to work and provide for the family that I've given, help me to, that you've given me, help me to look for opportunities to share Christ with others. God, help me to have a good attitude and to reflect the nature of Christ in me, realizing that I've been saved by Him. Help me not to fly off the handle when something bad happens. Lord, give me an opportunity to encourage somebody that's struggling. Oh, how sad if we just live like a Christian on Sunday and then we go to work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we live like the rest of the world. If God has changed you, He's changed you seven days a week, 365 and a quarter days a year. He's changed you from beginning to end and let that work of change keep taking place in your life as you walk in obedience to His Word. Amen. Doesn't mean you won't fail. Doesn't mean you won't struggle. Doesn't mean you won't have difficulty. But Nehemiah was convinced of the greatness of the work God had given him to do. And he said, if I leave, the work is going to cease. If God has given you a work to do, don't shirk your duty. Stay faithful to it and let God do His work in His time. Don't allow anything to distract you from the work that God has given you to do. I would say this, though, and as a reminder, this is a work God's given all of us to do. While there are many noble commissions, there's only one great commission that God has given for us. Right. To go and preach the gospel, 
to make disciples, those who would be baptized and following Him, those that would learn, that would be taught to observe, to do according to all that is written therein. May we as believers, as children of God, if you're a saved individual this morning, be faithful about the greatest work that God has given all of us to do. Nehemiah understood that they had evil planned against him. Nehemiah understood that the work that God had given him to do was the greatest work that he could do. I would tell you, thirdly, Nehemiah also knew that there was no basis for cooperation. You say, what do you mean, no basis for cooperation? Well, if you look back a couple of few chapters back to Nehemiah chapter 2, when Nehemiah is first having a conversation with these enemies, with Sanballat and Tobiah, he says in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 20, Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, He will prosper us. Therefore we His servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem." Nehemiah understood that there was no basis for cooperation. There was no need for him to cooperate because Nehemiah's faith wasn't in all the people around him. Nehemiah's faith was in God. God had given him a work to do. God says he'll supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. I don't have to go outside of God's will to find the support that I need to accomplish God's plan. It just doesn't work that way. We sang it this morning, complete in thee. If I'm complete in Him, then I don't have to find help to accomplish what God has me to do outside of God's Word, outside of God's plan. I can live obedient to God and trust Him to provide for all of my needs. I can trust Him to give me the wisdom on how to raise my children, how to live in harmony in my marriage, how to provide for my family. You say, really? The Bible talks about all that? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. God's Word is sufficient. In fact, the Bible speaks about this very clearly to Christians over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 when it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. Isn't that amazing? We didn't come to the temple this morning. This is just a room. If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are the temple. Sometimes, you know, we, we get cleaned up and dressed up, and that's fine. But I'm not cleaned up and dressed up, or I shouldn't be, because this is a temple, and i got to make sure I'm holy before I come into this temple. No, I'm carrying the temple around all the time. So I don't want to allow anything into my life that would be compromise with what God has called me to do. Because if I'm the temple, and the Bible speaks about this other places, that, I'm, that, that Christ is working in me, that, that as Christians we're the image bearers of Christ, what kind of picture of Jesus are you presenting to a lost and dying world? 
When people see your life, when people see what you say and what you do and how you act and where you are and the relationships that you're in, are you pointing people to Christ or away from Christ? Nehemiah understood there was no basis for cooperation. They were headed two different directions. There was no way they could work together. These were the enemies of God's people. And you know what? As we read here in verse 4, they didn't just come to Nehemiah with this proposal one time. They came four times. You see it right there. It says, yet they sent unto me four times after this sort. This wasn't just one offer. Hey, Nehemiah, come have a meeting. No, it was again and again and again. I'm thankful that clearly Nehemiah's answer every single time was no. I've got a great work to do. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, look at verse 5. <laughs> then sent Sanballat, his servant, unto me in like manner the fifth time. This guy didn't give up. Realize when we're fighting against the enemies of God, we're fighting against an enemy that will never give up until he's completely destroyed. You read the book of Revelation. The devil and his minions, they keep coming again and again. Never give up. We fight against an enemy that never gives up. This enemy never gave up. He comes again and again. He's coming now the fifth time. Notice, though, it's very interesting because he comes with an open letter in his hand. Up to this point, they're exchanging. You know, he's sending a letter to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah says, no, I'm not going to come. And he sends it again. No, I'm not going to come. Now he comes with an open letter. You say, why is that important? Because he's trying to bring the peer pressure of the other people to bear against Nehemiah. If Nehemiah is the leader, won't listen to us. You know, he's not listening to reason. We're going to get all the people knowing what we're saying to Nehemiah, knowing that there's an enemy that's still trying to attack so that the people will help to put pressure on Nehemiah to keep him from coming. That's why they sent an open letter. Normally a letter would have been wrapped up in a, a scroll. It would have been sealed and it was only to be opened by the person that it was addressed to. That's how they did it in these times. Just like today when you lick that envelope and you close it, it's a crime if you open someone else's mail, right? It's, it's been that way forever. So to bypass that, Sanballat says, okay, we're just going to send an open letter. I, can't ima- I, I can kind of picture what this might have looked like, but maybe he wrote it in a scroll and he's carrying it out for everybody to read. Perhaps his servant is telling everyone, hey, we're bringing this letter to Nehemiah. Nehemiah won't compromise with us. He won't work with us. We're just right out here, as we'll see here in a few minutes. Some of us are even your relatives. Why won't you work with us? You say, really? The relatives? Yeah, you'll see it here in just a few minutes. It's crazy. Now they're bringing this peer pressure to bear against him. I would tell you, if one tool that the enemy uses against us is trying to get us to compromise... The next tool of compromise doesn't work. He just might use this one, and that is slander. He begins to share all these bad things about Nehemiah with all the people. Follow along with me, verses 5 through 9. It came fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Verse 6, wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, you always have to watch out when things start out with, you know, a lot of people been saying. That's right. 
Or, you know what they say? Well, here's Gashmu. He says it too, so it must be true, right? It's, it's reported among the heathen. This is what everybody's saying about you, Nehemiah. The people in the city, they're with Nehemiah. Remember the previous chapter, there were already fights and problems among the people that Nehemiah is trying to help them solve. And now the letter comes in from the enemy. Listen, even the people outside, they're talking. They're saying some bad things. Notice, what are they saying? That thou and the Jews think to rebel. This is what people are saying, Nehemiah. That you've got a rebellion. You're trying to raise up an insurrection here. For which cause thou buildest the wall that thou mayest be their king according to these words. Whose words? Did Nehemiah ever say that he was trying to be king? No. Nehemiah, over and over, he served God humbly. He started with prayer. He even was serving at the behest of the king of Persia. He had been sent by him. He was doing what the king had told him to do, but now they're spreading rumors around. Yeah, Nehemiah, he's trying to build this wall. He's trying to set himself up as king. That's what the word on the street is. Verse 7, And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem. What? People are going around and preaching. They're proclaiming. They're declaring saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Had that taken place? No. But boy, that's what they wanted everybody to believe. That's what they were all talking about. Hey, Nehemiah, we've come to you privately. You haven't listened to us, so now we're going to come publicly with an open letter. We want everybody to know there's, there's a problem here. This wall, you didn't build it for good righteous reasons you built this wall for your own selfish reasons because you're trying to set yourself up as king nehemiah that's a problem nehemiah we're going to tell the king that this is taking place and then they invite him again to compromise right here at the end of verse 7 come now therefore and let us take counsel together nehemiah there's a lot of bad rumors being spread around you hmm i wonder who started those rumors Nehemiah, we know you've got some bad plans. What are you talking about? Nehemiah, let's, let's counsel together. Let's work on this. You see the slander that they're trying to use and they're bringing to bear the pressure of the other people that, oh, what are we going to think? What are we going to do? We're afraid. What's going to happen? If they report this to the king, the king's going to bring his armies and he's going to tear down our wall and he's going to wipe all of us out. You see them trying to bring fear Fear paralyzes faith. It keeps us from walking in obedience and following God. Verse 8. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. Send ballot to buy. You're just making this up. This has never taken place. But see what happened in verse 9? For they all made us afraid. That's what the result of this slander was. There was fear. People were afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. 
Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah has that in chapter 1 is one big prayer to God. And then there are a bunch of little, uh, one commentator called them telegraph prayers to the Lord. Just really quick, short prayers to the Lord. And here's one of them in verse 9. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Probably a prayer some of us ought to pray. You're going through difficult things. You're facing something. Oh, God, strengthen my hands. God, I can't do this. I need your help. It's a prayer of humility, isn't it? Admitting, God, I need you to have strength to be able to do what you've called me to do. I'm not strong enough. Oh, God, strengthen my hands. It would be a prayer we ought to pray before we go to face that relationship problem that we don't have the way to fix it. We don't know what to do. Oh God, strengthen my hands. When we go to work and, and maybe the boss isn't happy with it, it seems like we can't do anything right, but we're doing the best we can. Oh God, strengthen my hands. When we come together to worship God and, and we look around and we talk to people, we encourage them and we find out about physical struggle and people hurting and people going through hard times. Oh God, strengthen my hands. I love this prayer of Nehemiah. It's a very quick prayer. It's not long. It's not drawn out. And, and it's wonderful to be able to pray those long prayers. We know that Nehemiah was a man of prayer, that he did spend lots and lots of time in prayer. We need to do that as well, but it's also a blessing at times to just be able to say, Oh God, strengthen my hands. You know, at Jesus' trial, when he was before he went to the cross, he was accused of stirring up rebellion too. It's interesting to see how often this enemy used letters in their attacks against the work. They're, they're, they're busy sending these letters back and forth. Sanballat wanted the public to know what he was saying because he hoped to undermine Nehemiah's reputation and authority. If some of the Jewish workers believed what was written, then Sanballat could organize them and create division within the ranks. almost like they're gossiping. One person defined gossip as this, as news that you have to hurry and tell somebody else before you find out it isn't true. I, I got to, ooh, that's, that's interesting. I, I got to tell somebody about that before I find out whether it's true or not because that's really juicy. That's what Sam Ballot's doing here, isn't it? Not only did his enemies falsely accused Nehemiah of putting together rebellion, but they also said he was planning to make himself king and had prophets prepared to announce his coronation. You say, well, how do you handle then these false accusations, vicious letters, unfounded press reports, gossip, what people are posting online? How do we handle this? Three ways. I think Nehemiah helps us understand here. First one is this. If you will take care of your character, you can trust God to take care of your reputation. Nehemiah was a man of character. Wasn't a perfect man, but he was a man that had lived consistently in this project of rebuilding the wall. Amen. He was a man of character. And when you're a person of character, a man or a woman of character, you can trust God to take care of your reputation. If God can be more glorified by dragging me through the mud, then so be it. I'm His servant, not my own. But if God wants to exalt me and bring glory to Himself that way, 
that's fine as well. You take care of your character. You can choose to do right. Let God take care of your reputation. So often, though, it's the other way around for us, isn't it, though? We're so worried about our reputation. What's everybody else going to think? Folks, there's only one person that you need to worry about of what they think of you, and that's your Heavenly Father. Only be concerned about what He thinks. So take care of your character. Trust God to take care of your reputation. Nehemiah did this. Number two, how do you deal with slander? Deny the false accusations and get back to work. Okay, no, that didn't happen. And go back to the work that you're there to do. Trust God to allow you to keep doing the work. Sometimes we get worried, well, if people think badly about me, then I won't be able to fulfill what God has called me to do. No, faithful is He who hath called you who also will do it. God will allow you to do what He wants you to do to be able to accomplish the work that He has for you. And then, as Nehemiah did, pray to God for strength. Oh, God, strengthen my hands. So they brought the tool, the attack of compromise. When that didn't work, then they came with slander. Say, surely they're ready to stop. No, they're still coming. Next comes the comes the attack of these threats that they're trying to use to put fear in his heart and fear in the hearts of his followers. Look at verse number 10 through 14. Afterward, I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleiah, the son of Mehetabil, who was shut up. Means he was closed up in his house. He's hiding out. He's saying, there's a threat against my life is really the idea here. I'm closed up so that I'm safe. And Nehemiah, would you come visit me, please? Nehemiah comes by and he comes for a visit. And he said, this is, the, this is Shemaiah. He says, let us meet together in the house of God. It's a very spiritual sounding person. Let's go to church together, Nehemiah. Within the temple, let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. Now, it's not quite like this, but when I read this verse, I kind of think of the people, some who even claim to be Christians, who say, you know, Pastor Will, the world is a really bad, dangerous place. Because of that, we need to just shut ourselves in our houses, not go out and talk to anybody. Don't share Jesus because they're going to come at night and slay you. Now, nobody said that to me, but sometimes you think about people like that, that they're just worried about everything. They're hiding out. It's like they kind of peek open through their blind. I'm a Christian. Yes, in the power of God. I don't think I can go outside, though, because... Uh, there's a lot of bad people out there. We live that way, don't we, sometimes? Right. Folks, that's fear. Yes. It's not wrong to protect yourself, but it's wrong to be paralyzed by fear. doesn't mean you have to be foolish. It doesn't mean I just walk out in front of the street without looking both ways. No, you look both ways before you cross the street, right? 
But don't let your fear paralyze you and keep you from living by faith and doing what God has called you to do. Shemaiah here, he says, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's close ourselves in. Maybe that'll provide protection. Folks, that's not where the protection lies. The protection lies with the Lord. They're threatening him. Now, it's very interesting because it doesn't stop here. Shemaiah says, Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. He's trying to make him afraid. Verse 11, Nehemiah said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Verse 11, there's a lot of interesting things there. Verse 12, And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Senballat had hired him. Now, that looks like some great insight that Nehemiah had. How did he know that Shemaiah had been sent by Sanballat and Tobiah? We'll see that in just a minute. Verse 13, Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin, and that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, here's another little prayer. Think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works and on the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. So let's go back and look at this because I think it's very interesting. Shemaiah says, come into the temple. That's where we'll be safe. People are out trying to kill you. Nehemiah responds and he says, no, I won't do that. Why did he say that? Well, First of all, I would say very simply, Nehemiah understood that he had a job to do. And if he was going to go hide out in the temple, it would keep him from his job. Folks, God's given you a work to do. And it's not to hide under a rock. It's to be out serving the Lord. And you can do that in so many ways, can't you? You can call somebody on the phone and encourage them. You can pray for somebody. You can... Let them know, maybe write them a note, encourage them that way. There's a lot of ways to encourage other believers. You can come together. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as you come together and worship God together and encourage one another. And then we can also serve God as we go to tell our friends, our, our neighbors, our acquaintances, our co-workers about God's love for them too. There's so many ways to serve the Lord. Nehemiah understood that he had a job to do. Hiding him would keep him from this job. You know, it's interesting, Shemaiah here, because he had access to the temple, it's possible that he was of priestly descent. Because not just anybody could just walk into the temple. In fact, Nehemiah makes that point here in verse 11. He says, Who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life. You see, people who were not priests were not allowed to just walk into the temple and go past the altar. In fact, if you go back in the Old Testament, there's several passages for the children of Israel that if they were to do that, they could lose their life. You say, wow, that's pretty serious. Why did God do that? God was trying to teach His people that He was holy. The only way to be able to come to God was to be able to come to God holy as He is. And you know what? Today, we can only come to God if we're holy as well. 
You say, well, man, I could never get to God. Well, praise the Lord that we have Jesus Christ because His blood washes away all sin. And in the eyes of God, even though I still mess up and do wrong because of the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives me, if I'm trusting in Him and asking Him to forgive me of my sin, I can now come boldly, as Hebrews says, before the throne of grace, asking for grace to help in time of need. We can come before the Lord, but in Nehemiah's day, he couldn't just go walking into the temple. That was not a safe place for Nehemiah to be, even though Shemaiah says, it'd be safe here. Nehemiah says, should such a man as I flee? He can't do this. Earlier in verse 3, he said, I can't come. I've got a great work to do. Now he says, I won't go in. Not only did Nehemiah understood that he had a job to do, Nehemiah also knew that going into the temple was contrary to God's word. Folks, when people threaten you, if they do that for your faith, if they threaten you for following after the Lord, don't let those threats keep you from walking in obedience to God's word. The safest place you can be is in the center of God's will. That's why you can go to Uganda. That's why you can go to the jungles of Peru. And we pray for safety. We pray for God's provision. That's why you can go to Albania. You go to a lot of countries that most people would... It's not high on the tourist destinations. And the places you go in those countries, if they are tourist destinations, you don't go to the tourist destinations in those countries. But you know you're safe if you're in God's will. Because you're doing what God wants you to do. I'd much rather be out in some jungle somewhere if that's where God wanted me to be than sitting in my own house. Because I'd be much safer if I'm where God wants me to be. Nehemiah knew that this was contrary to God's word. He rejected Shemaiah's proposal because it was contrary to the law of Moses. He knew that Shemaiah was a false prophet because the Bible had said... You test a prophet by his message. If he tells the truth, you know he's a true prophet. But Shemaiah is saying things that are not true. Therefore, Nehemiah knew he was not a false pro- or knew that he was a false prophet. That's why he rejected him. Remember, I said it seems like Nehemiah has a lot of insight. How does Nehemiah know so much? Folks, God's given us everything we need. In fact, the Bible says it this way: study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. I would tell you, Nehemiah didn't have some special, you know, red phone alert communication with God. No, he had the same kind of communication with God that you and I have. He could pray and he could study God's word. And in fact, in Nehemiah's day, he didn't have near as much of God's word as we have today. We have it all. So if it seems like Nehemiah had special insight, It was because Nehemiah knew his Bible. And it's because Nehemiah talked a lot to his heavenly father. And I would encourage you, if you want to be that person that, boy, they just seem to have that amazing connection with God. They seem to have that special insight. They just know what to do and when to do it and what to say and what not to say. How do they do that? It's because they walk with the Lord. The Bible says it this way, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. 
Nehemiah here, he didn't have some special superpower that you and I don't have access to. No, Nehemiah just walked with God. That's how he knew this man was a false prophet. You've heard it before. How do you tell a counterfeit? Because you know what the real thing looks like. And anything that doesn't look like the real thing, you know it's a counterfeit. Nehemiah knew this was not the true message. And so he immediately recognized it at the counterfeit that it was. Nehemiah knew this was contrary to God's word. And Nehemiah prayed to God to bring judgment on those that would harm him. Nehemiah didn't try to fight this guy. But he did say, verse 14, My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works. And on the prophetess Noadiah. So here, there's other people. This, this woman prophet, she's prophesying against him too. And the rest of the prophets. This would have been a difficult thing for Nehemiah. The prophets were highly regarded in the city. They were highly regarded by the children of Israel. And even the prophets had turned against him. The people that were supposedly the messengers of God. Here Nehemiah is against the professionals, if you will. And it's just Nehemiah. He's a cupbearer. But a cupbearer with God on his side is far greater than any other weapon or enemy or person or group of people could ever be. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Nehemiah, he takes this stand here and then he prays and asks God to take care of the situation, to deal with them, to judge with judgment. And God can do that. God will do that. Take care of your character. Let God take care of your reputation. So we've seen three different weapons and we've got one more and we're almost done. They came at him with compromise. Come compromise. Come counsel with us. Let's work this out. Let's meet halfway. Nehemiah says, no, I've got a great work to do. Nehemiah said, I can't leave what God has called me to do. Then they brought the slander. Hey, this is what people are saying about you, Nehemiah. Have you heard? People are saying you're trying to set up and become king. Nehemiah says, no, that's not true. Let me get back to the work God's called me to do. Oh, that didn't work either. So then they send one of their guys who's on the inside. I mean, Shemaiah, he's, he's living in the city of Jerusalem. Let's go to the temple, Nehemiah. Let's be safe there. You know there's people trying to kill you. They're going to come for you in the night. He says, no, you're a false prophet. God would never call me to do that. How did he know all this? Because Nehemiah knew God's word. Folks, how are we going to stand in an evil day? It's by knowing God's word and living it obediently. And then we see the fourth and final thing here. The intrigue. Ooh, now it gets really mysterious. Look at verses 15 through 19. It says, so the wall was finished. Boy, isn't that exciting? They built this wall. Look how fast they built it. In the 20 and 5th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. That's an incredible feat of engineering, an incredible, amazing testimony to what people can do when they come together to work together. I mean, think about it. How many years has it been on 290? <laughs> 52 days, and they didn't have road graders and hydraulic equipment. My guess is, though, they probably had some people that didn't just lean on shovels, though. You know, they had, 
people that had a mind to work. I remember my dad teasing when I was growing up. He said, I could save the state and the city and the county a lot of money. I'm just going to invent a little foot that will weld onto a shovel so it'll stand itself up. And we won't have to pay the guy to hold the shovel up. It'll just hold itself up. Sometimes we look at these projects and say, why? It takes so long. 52 days. Verse 16, and it came to pass when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. If you're here on Wednesday nights, we're studying through the story of the children of Israel as they crossed the Red Sea. Moses says about Pharaoh and all of his armies, he says that God would be honored or get him honor upon the Egyptians. God will always be glorified. And right here, these people, their failure to attack and win with their attacks brings glory to God. They looked at this wall, they said, 52 days their heads were down. We've tried everything. We've done it all. We've, we've slandered. We've made fun of them. We, we've, we've threatened attacks. We've even brought people, uh, armies around them. We've done everything we can to shut this down, and they still finish it. Wow. They perceived that this work was wrought of our God. When God's people come together to do God's work, God is glorified as people look around and say, there's no way those people could have done that on their own. This must be a work of God. I don't know about you, but I want that in my life. I want people to look at, at, at the things I'm doing and the things I'm saying, and I want to be not a testimony to me, but a testimony to a great God. If people look and say, wow, Pastor Will, he's just the best, then I feel like I've fallen short. But if people look at me and say, wow, with that guy... Boy, look what God has done. He must have a great God because he messes up sometimes. He has problems at times. He's not always the strongest, smartest, best person in the room, but God is still doing a work. That'd be a great testimony, wouldn't it? Not just for me. That'd be a great testimony for you. God loves to use the simple things of this world, the weak things of this world, to confound the mighty. I think about that even for our church. Wouldn't that be a great testimony to be able to say, I love it when people drive up for the first time, they go, there's not much here. I don't know, this building. I'm not sure about this location. I don't know about the people that live in this area. I had one guy say, you can't build a church with people like that. I said, wow, I'm thankful that I don't have to build the church, that the Lord builds His church, and God can save anybody if they'll trust in Him for salvation. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what kind of mess you've gotten yourself into. God is bigger He's more powerful and He can work. Let's be faithful to Him so that others might look someday and say, Wow, what a great work that God has wrought Amen. there. Nehemiah, he's led the people. The people have come together. God's done a great work. But folks, the enemy wasn't done yet. Just like the enemy's not done attacking us yet. And we, we never get to the place as a church or even as individuals where we say, I have now arrived spiritually. There's not going to be more attacks. 
Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And folks, I think that can apply even to the strongest Christian among us. The strongest person who says, I've, I'm doing it. I've been faithful. God's helped me win some great victories. The attacks are still very real. And that's not a testament to your frailty so much as it is to the reality of the wickedness that's around us and our need to put our trust in our Heavenly Father. We're never strong enough where now we can say, all right, God, I've got this. Let me have it for a while. No, stay right close to your Heavenly Father. Because here comes one more attack. Verse 15, the wall was finished, 25th day of the month of Elu, and 52 days. It came to pass, all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things. They were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Verse 17, moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters, boy, more letters, unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. Do you remember Tobiah? He's mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 6. He's mentioned back in chapter 2. He's mentioned multiple times. And actually, if you stay with us in this book, you're going to see old Tobiah come back again. He just doesn't stop. Now he's sending letters back and forth with the nobles of Judah. He's communicating with them. And the letters of Tobiah came unto them, for there were many in Judah sworn unto him. Notice why they were so close with Tobiah. It says it here. Because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah. Oh, good old Shechaniah. Tobiah is his son-in-law. He must be a good guy. We don't know who this Nehemiah is. He's come from this foreign land. We realize he's helped us rebuild the wall. But I mean, Shechaniah, he's a good guy. So Tobiah must be a good guy, right? He's the son-in-law of Shechaniah. Oh, he's the son who was the son of Era and his son, Johanan. So Tobiah's son had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Now we read these names and they mean nothing to us. But think about it. in our world, we look around and, you know, our buddy, his daughter married our other friend's son. And, you know, we've known them for a long time, so this must be a good thing. That's really what they're saying here. We've sworn allegiance to Tobiah. He's one of us. But Tobiah wasn't in the city at this point. He's living outside because Tobiah wasn't one of them. Tobiah had consistently brought attacks over and over and over again. He's always with the enemies. And now they've sworn allegiance. The nobles have sworn allegiance to Tobiah. Verse 19, also they reported his good deeds before me. So here come the nobles. Oh, Tobiah's a great guy. Come on, Nehemiah. Let's compromise. Come on, Nehemiah, let's work together. Oh, the intrigue, the, the political correctness, all of the politics working here is the nobles and Tobiah, they're swearing allegiance. Tobiah saying, hey, if you swear allegiance to me, Nehemiah is going to leave eventually. And so when we come in and take over the city, you'll be with us. You know, and they're protecting themselves and their property and doing all these things. That's what's going on. Can you see it? It's incredible. They said, they reported his good deeds before me, and they uttered my words to him. So everything that Nehemiah said, they're going, hey, Tobiah, you know, this is what Nehemiah said. This is what Nehemiah is planning. This is what's going on. You think, poor Nehemiah. All he's done is help these people, and all they do is fight against him. 
And Tobias sent letters to put me in fear. I think it's interesting at the end of the chapter where they've rebuilt the wall and the people said, wow, God's done a great work, says, and they're still sending letters to try to put fear in the heart of Nehemiah. Folks, Satan never stops fighting against God. And he never stops fighting against God's people. One, there was a Scottish minister by the name of Andrew Bonar. Some of you may have read about him or heard of him. He said this, Let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. That's a good warning. If you can't see Satan working, it's probably because he has gone underground. Actually, we are probably safer when we can see him at work than when his agents are concealed. Open opposition is good for God's work and God's workers because it keeps us alert and it keeps us trusting the Lord. Watch and pray was certainly one of Nehemiah's chief admonitions to his people, but now, hey, the wall's done. We're fine. We're safe now. Nehemiah, you've done your job. The people let relationships keep them from obeying God. They let their human relationships, hey, he's related to him. He married his daughter, so this must all be okay. Folks, I love and I'm so thankful for the people relationships that I have. But my relationships with people must never trump my relationship with God. Do we permit human relationships to influence our decisions so much that we deliberately disobey the Word of God? You look at these people. He says the daughter of Meshulam. You know, Meshulam was one of the guys that was building the wall. You can read about him in Nehemiah chapter 3. He's mentioned twice, verse 4 and verse 30. And yet his family was undermining the very work he was doing. These traitors went even further. They repeatedly told Nehemiah what a fine man Tobiah really was. The story of Nehemiah begins with his prayer. Then we read that he came to Jerusalem. Then it says they strengthened their hands for the good work. Then they built the wall. They labored together. The end of Nehemiah chapter 6 going into chapter 7 is a transition point in the story. The wall's been built, but the story's not over. Because Nehemiah had to work hard, he had to fight hard to do what God had called him to do. Now Nehemiah was going to have to fight hard to protect what God had given them. And I would tell you this as we close. When Nehemiah first heard about the problems in Israel, what were the problems he heard about? The walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. This moved him to do something about it. Nehemiah went with the strength of the Lord and rebuilt the walls and rebuilt the gates. But did that fix the problems of the people? No, it didn't. Because, folks, we have a much bigger problem in our world today than just building walls, putting up gates, fixing up a church building, or even medical missions. We do those things, they're just tools. The problem is people are lost and on their way to eternal separation from God in hell. The biggest problem is sin. 
It's our own sin. It's my sin. My biggest problem is not your attacks against me or someone outside of here. It's my own sin. That was the biggest problem these people had. They got the wall rebuilt. Praise the Lord. God can do those things, can He? We've seen God provide in wonderful ways. God keeps providing and providing for our church. He's providing and providing to now start this next church. He's providing and providing to do good works all around the world. We're so thankful for that. Folks, we can't get so caught up in all of that and say, look at all that we've built. Now all the problems are fixed. No, we're still sinners. We need a personal relationship with God. We've got to walk with Him every day because the devil's going to keep coming. It doesn't matter how many churches we build. It doesn't matter how many medical clinics get done. It doesn't matter how many young people go through boot camps. It doesn't matter how many events and activities we have here. All those things are good things. But we've got to understand sin is still real. Satan is still at work. Amen. We've got to be ready to continue to walk with God. And never come to the place where we say, well, look at what we've done. The wall's built. Look what God has done. Now let's step back because we can take a break. The enemy's still attacking. Be ready. We can have a great day on Sunday and then, boy, Monday it seems like everything blows up. Why? Because the enemy's still attacking. You can make some headway with your children and deal with some attitude problem and then it just seems like another one pops up. Some relationship in your life, it seems like one good thing happens, we rejoice, somebody came to Christ, somebody saved, God's working, we had somebody baptized, we had this, we had that. And at the same time, there's another problem always popping up. Why? Because we live in a wicked, fallen world. Each one of us has to walk with God. Building the wall isn't going to fix the problem personal relationship with God is the only thing that can help us through. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer. I know I've preached a long time this morning. I didn't know how to say it any shorter and I didn't want to break it up. Thank you for listening. You've listened well. But would you respond now? God's spoken to your heart. I don't know all the burdens you may be carrying this morning, but God knows. And in fact, some of us don't even know what burdens we're going to be bearing starting tomorrow or Tuesday because something new is going to pop up. We're going to have to deal with that. Folks, would you look to the Lord and walk with Him? Would you trust in Him? If you're here this morning and you need somebody to pray with you in just a minute, the piano is going to play, I'll pray with you. I'd love to do that. If you need to just pray in your seat, do that. If you need somebody else to encourage you, Take the time to do that. Let's respond to God's word. Heavenly Father, we love you. Help us to walk in obedience, to trust in you, to not allow fear to paralyze us and keep us from walking by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.